Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Man, Craig, it feels like we're doing tribute episode after tribute episode. We've just seen some people go and probably none more famous this year than Pee Wee Herman, otherwise known as Paul Rubens. I should probably say that backwards, but uh, honestly, Paul Rubens is Pee Wee Herman in my heart. Yeah. And uh, it sucks that he's gone. I saw the news and it was just one of those circumstances of really strange timing in that I had just watched about a week before him for the first time in a long time. Uh, as himself, which, you know, when he started out doing Pee-wee, he pretty much insisted that he just was Pee-wee everywhere, all the time, out in public, on talk shows, everything like that. He hardly ever appeared as himself. Later on, he relaxed on that. And then kind of in his later life, you know, he was playing other roles and he was on talk shows as himself. And I saw him guest starring on a episode of Somebody Feed Phil, which is an awesome food thing on um, Netflix. And I was like, my God, I think this is the first time I've seen this guy as anything but Pee Wee, and he just seems like the coolest guy in the world. He was funny, he was fun, and then a week later I found out that he died. And for this man who was so much of my childhood growing up to hear that he died, even just a week after being reminded of how special he was to me, uh, yeah, man, that really hit me a bit. It hit me hard. So uh, we decided to do Buffy the Vampire Slayer in honor of Paul Rubens. Believe it or not, i never seen this movie before, even though I think I'm probably the only one my age who hadn't seen it. It was in my consciousness growing up and in, in high school and everything like that. I just never never managed to watch it. I also, for the record, never saw a single episode of the TV series until after this movie. I figured I'd better watch at least one. So I did that to prep. I know you're a huge fan of the TV series, and you proposed that we watch this movie in honor of Paul Rubens, and uh, here we are today. So uh, what's your history with this movie? Oh, the movie, who cares? Paul Rubens. You know, it's been almost a month since he passed, and we've been talking, you know, we, we decided pretty much immediately that we wanted to do something for him, but we already had something else lined up uh, for a week or so. So I've had some time, and uh, we talked about it a little bit last week outside of the regular show, and I said that it, it was probably an algorithm thing you know like i'm scrolling through social media every time i saw something about paul rubens i probably stopped and read it or liked it or something and so i was getting all this uh paul rubens content and it just hit me really hard and honestly like i'm still a little bit gobsmacked like it's a little bit hard to talk about like he was such a cool guy and it's one of those things where you don't I don't know. I mean, I always, I've always thought Pee Wee Herman was cool. Um, I always thought Paul Rubens was cool as an actor, as a guy. But then I'm reading all of these things about him and all of these, uh, you know, people who knew him, even in the most casual way. Like, you know, all these celebrities are coming out now and talking about how one thing that seems to have been kind of his thing was he would always find out people's birthdays and then spam them with uh, memes and birthday messages like all day on their birthdays, <laughs> like all day. I've seen, you know, a couple of these celebrities uh, post it because it wasn't just memes and stuff like he would record really personal, funny, but sincere video messages for these people too. And I, I saw a couple of them and they weren't things that were intended for the public, but 
you could just feel his uh, sincerity and just his humanity. And he's also just such a funny person. You know, I saw a couple of those stories, and then they kept coming in. Like, I don't know how the man did anything else. <laughs> you know, like, like he, it, it wasn't just people that he had close relationships with. It was people that he would have crossed paths with once or twice. But he always remembered everybody and remembered their names and their birthdays and made them feel special. And it did make people feel special. And I think that that's a big part of his legacy for me is Pee Wee Herman made it okay to be different and weird. Mm. And he had a childlike nature and it was, you know, that that was all a persona. But I think that that persona stemmed from something inside that man. And uh, For sure. It had to. He came up with it during improvisation with the groundlings in the 70s he's as old he was born basically almost the same year my dad was born you know i mean the guy lived to be 70 this year my dad is 71 it sounds like just from a very early age like from the age of five he was asking his dad to build him a stage in their house so that he could goof off and make people laugh he loved reruns of i love lucy and things like that right he was in theater when he was in high school and then you know, he joined this this improv, this famous improv group, the Groundlings, and and apparently yeah, he was a yeah, good friend. This little improv group, the Groundlings, yeah. <laughs> this tiny little thing. It's nothing big. But, you know. <laughs> Phil Hartman apparently was a good friend of his and helped him develop the Pee Wee Herman character. And in fact, yeah. I think later in his life, Phil Hartman was was critical. He was frustrated. He was like, "Look, man, you're way more talented than just this one character. Why is it that you're only doing this?" But I don't know. It it, it just must have felt like either his calling or just, you know, put all your eggs in this basket, and it sure worked for him. Uh, my first exposure to Pee Wee Herman, I think, was, God, it was either the TV show or the movie, I don't remember which, Pee Wee's Playhouse, everybody loved it. Yeah. Everybody loved Pee Wee's Playhouse when it came out, and it, even now watching it, I just, I get a kick out of it. It's fantastic, yeah. It's so much fun. He took, like, these kids' shows from when he was growing up like like my dad you know my dad's age like howdy doody and this kind of stuff where you know it was just sort of a variety show these wacky characters coming on you have puppets and things like that but just sort of updated it for the late 80s and um made it fun you know now it's it's very common to have kids entertainment that also speaks to adults jokes that are in there for the parents watching it with the kids that go over the kid's head but really land with the adults and so everybody can enjoy watching it and Pee-wee's Playhouse, I think, I'm probably wrong, but it seems like it was one of the first television shows to really embrace this ethos and do things for both. And Pee-wee Herman himself, so even when I was watching Pee-wee's Playhouse, I had a cousin, and they had Showtime, and and there were lots of comedy shows on Showtime at the time, and the Pee-wee Herman show that Paul Rubens did before he started Pee-wee's Playhouse and before he did the movie... He was running around with this show, performing for adults, doing, I don't want to say like edgy adult material, but he had a an adult side to him. He was making off-color jokes. He was a little racy and stuff. He played with that character a little bit before he made him just 100% more family-friendly. And I watched that too. And I, as a teenager, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, like Pee Wee Herman had this other side. You never saw it anymore, but you know, you kind of saw that history of the character. But it was all consistent. This sort of childlike, weird guy, but for some reason, 
you couldn't help but love him. <laughs> I know. It, it almost it almost defies explanation. I think universally loved. And the thing about the show, you know, I, I don't know as much about the development of it. I, I do know that, you know, in the development of it, it was for adults, although he was playing a childlike character. But the television show and the movies were wholesome. Yeah. And that wouldn't be the first word that you would used to describe it but it was totally kid friendly and he was kid friendly and i can only assume that he loved children otherwise why would you do such a thing i do know that you know uh in the earlier days before the scandal which we'll talk about in a second but mm. he, he pretty much only publicly appeared as peewee but he hired extra security because he was a heavy smoker but he hired extra personal security to ensure that he was never photographed smoking in costume <laughs> because he didn't want kids to see that and i don't know like again like you said early on he he typically you know appeared as peewee i've been watching stuff on youtube like he guest hosted for joan rivers when she briefly had her own late night show and he did all kinds of things in character but within the last 20 years or so he did more appearances as himself and as himself he just seemed like such a soft spoken not like shy or awkward just no not at all just very unassuming and humble just seemed so humble humble unassuming yet funny and witty and sharp so funny so funny self-assured like just a very normal like hey here's a funny guy and i'm a funny guy but you know i'm not gonna make a big deal out of it but i'm a right I'm a crack like, some jokes. like you, you would <laughs> you would kill to be able to be friends with this guy and uh last night i was watching uh, after he passed away conan o'brien talked about him on his podcast like i mean he could barely speak <laughs> Just as I'm struggling now, he could barely speak about him because uh, they were friends. And it seemed like to be friends with Paul Rubens was a real gift. And I think that uh, the people who were lucky enough to have that relationship, oh, God, as hard as it's hitting me, <laughs> I can't believe. I, I can't imagine how hard it's hitting them but i just think he was the coolest and uh so transition the only horror movie that uh he was in and it's really it's not even described as horror on imdb i think it's described as like comedy fantasy adventure mm. or something <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, but it has um, Paul Rubens in it. Uh, the only thing, you know, I, I said to you last week, I'm seeing all this great stuff about him, and what I'm seeing nothing about are the scandals that he was involved in. And maybe the lame-ass scandals. Should, should we just follow suit? Like maybe you know, there were a couple of scandals for for stupid things, really stupid, innocuous, innocent things. Here's the thing: nowadays, this would be nothing. In 1991, he was arrested for indecent exposure in an adult theater for jerking off. Like, that's what everybody does in adult theater. Right. Why the Come cops on. were even in there trying to arrest people is, like, beyond anything. And even at the time, pretty much 80% of the American public was going, what the hell? Right, leave this guy alone. This is dumb. So there was that. But, you know, he's a child's entertainer, and so it's embarrassing like come on all of us thought it was bullshit and it was stupid and whatever the other thing was apparently he was a collector of erotica and as a 
famous rich man. He collected a ton of it, and he bought mm-hmm. things in bulk. And right. apparently, at some point, when they were busting Jeffrey, what was Jeffrey his name? Jones, the Jeffrey Ferris Jones Peter over guy. it, there was some hot tip. Hey, check out uh, Pee Wee Herman. And they went to his house and went through his 70,000 things or whatever and happened to find a few things that m- maybe was child pornography. But he didn't but, know. But it wasn't. No, but it wasn't. It wasn't I mean, even. When they looked at it, they deemed that it like wasn't. Like nudes. Of, like, it was. It, it wasn't was, charged. Yeah, I mean, it was like centuries old erotica. It was. It, it was not child porn. It just wasn't. No, no sexual activity. Just like, and like you said, he collected this stuff. He bought it in bulk. He did. You know, uh, God, I, I, I hate to even talk about bring it. Bring it up. Just so it's just so stupid. But yeah. the point is, I, I do appreciate the fact that people openly had his back. It wasn't just the public. You know, his celebrity friends who knew him. You know, both times this is ridiculous this is we know this guy he's a great guy and i know that sometimes that happens and it turns out that the person in question isn't a great guy but in this case it was it was just dumb it was dumb stuff i get it you're right it was you know like getting caught jerking off in a porn theater sure i mean it's embarrassing especially if you're a a public figure a a children's entertainer sure it's embarrassing but come on you and i were talking last week i said this was before this was before the internet (laughs) You know this. You yes. know, I mean, let it, us all jerk off in peace. Porn okay? theaters exist, <laughs> right? Like, if if jerking off is a crime, you know, I would have been electrocuted <laughs> centuries ago. You know, we like, would all be on. dead. Come <laughs> on, leave the guy alone, Jesus. Yeah, but forget that. Anyway, that stupid arrest spawned a mugshot <laughs> that he gleefully used as his inspiration for his look as a vampire in Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh my because God. he felt like it was the coolest he had ever looked. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's got oh a goatee. It's so cool. <laughs> it's, uh, I, You know, I didn't know that at all. I had never even made the connection. It had never even occurred to me that his look in this movie um, was reminiscent of that mugshot. But when I read that, it was just one more thing to add to the list of how cool this guy was. Like, to take such a shitty, embarrassing situation and find the good in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you want to really look at the, you know, silver lining and all that, it did kind of force him to take a break from Pee Wee and try some other things. Right. And we might not even be talking about his role in Buffy the Vampire Slayer if that hadn't happened. That's true. And he did... A number of other things, and he became a little more comfortable just being himself on television and being like, you know, maybe I need to take a break with the Pee Wee character. And and for yeah. what it's worth, t- to be honest, like, he did a few things. He was a great actor. He's fine in all these other roles. Everything's going to be under the shadow of Pee Wee just because that was so, it will always be so iconic and just so big that... What's the point? Right, but I did enjoy seeing him in other things. I mean, even in the Pee Wee days, he was billed under a false name, but he voiced the spaceship in Flight of the Navigator. Oh, that was so fun. I loved that movie when I was a kid. Oh, we watch it so much. He was so great in that. He made a cameo as Pee Wee in Back to the Beach, which is another, like, (laughs) such a stupid (laughs) movie that I 
loved like i i still love it's, that movie it's great it's the um, only thing i remember from back to the beach is <laughs> it's the dance. best part it's the best part <laughs> yeah. uh, surfing bird oh my god look but at this YouTube, dumb movie. youtube that guys <laughs> back to the beach Wee herman yeah watch it it's hilarious batman returns he played the penguin's father in a cameo and and it was brief but you know reteaming with tim burton who did peewee's big adventure um and then he was it he was a creepy guy in matilda what was that like weird anti-superhero movie with janine garofalo and ben stiller mystery men mystery mystery men and he was <laughs> a disgusting character in that he was wow. a good actor like the guy is yeah. talented he was a talented hilarious funny funny guy and yeah peewee herman was great and i'm glad that he did everything that he did with it but you're right maybe it is a little bit of a silver lining you know other his friends phil hartman had kind of scolded him at some point and said you're you're more than this you know you're better than just this you know and all that was pre-scandal and so maybe the scandal did you know kind of afford him an opportunity to do more and i and i'm i'm glad he did because yeah. I enjoyed seeing him anytime he popped up. He popped up uh, in a cameo in Pushing Daisies, uh, a TV show that only lasted for two seasons but was brilliant and only got canceled because of the writer's strike back then. But, oh, man, great guy. And and he's hilarious in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I want to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I really do. But I, I've been dying to say nice things about Paul Rubens because I admire him. Like, Todd, I, like, I've been thinking, like, where can, where can I get a tattoo? Like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm seriously considering getting a minimalist Pee Wee Herman tattoo <laughs> this somewhere is the one. on my body. This is the thing. I know. It's that... good. I think, and I honestly got, I, like, I'm, I'm planning it. Like, I think on one forearm, minimalist Pee Wee Herman, and then someday on the other forearm, minimalist minimalist elvira and i think that go. that's gonna be it that's gonna be my can do much worse and that's like gonna be that. my late in life tattoo <laughs> <laughs> that's how you want to defile your body <laughs> yeah, it is i want to look at those two every day because they're two of my favorite people and they were best of friends absolutely you know paul rubens and cassandra peterson just absolute best of friends and it makes perfect sense to me mm. and i wish that i could have been friends with them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fair enough it's still my dream to get cassandra peterson on this podcast by the way just in case just in case anybody out there in the ether has a connection to cassandra peterson <laughs> my dream in Maybe life my dream in life to have her on this podcast. Wouldn't and that be talk wonderful? About Paul Rubens. It I don't. I would amazing. rather have her on here before we do a tribute episode. To oh her, my god! Sure. Please, please, no. She will be with us for another forty-five years because yeah. I can't handle it otherwise. She's still fantastic. Yeah, and gorgeous. So you, you've never seen the movie, and you said you watched one episode of the TV show. Did you watch the first episode? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god sorry you know as I it is you... as it is with most tv shows you kind of have like they need a solid season to find their footing i get it season one of buffy the vampire slayer is not the best season however that show it's for sure 100 percent in my top five favorite shows ever it's brilliant well all the people my age who are all friends of mine you know in college and all that stuff like everybody but me has watched this tv show and gushes about how great it is so i don't 
doubt it at all. Even the first episode I saw, <laughs> I get it. All the pilots are a little odd, right? But mm-hmm. like, it was still 10 times better than this movie. The thing about it is this movie, it's, it's kind of cool to be talking about it now. Because now the writer and creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon, has had a lot under his belt. Yeah. We get his style. We understand it. The TV show really led to that. But he's written and directed a couple, the Avengers, big Avengers movies, uh-huh. The Cabin in the Woods, like all these movies. Like, we get it. Like, he's a smart guy. He's got a, lo- a great sense of humor. He's always been writing different stuff. And so... When I watched this movie, 1992's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, written by Joss Whedon, but not directed by him, directed by Fran Rubel Kuzui, who before this had only done a kind of independent movie about Uh someone who moves to Tokyo. And then only did one movie after this, I think. And you can see why, like, as a guy who's made movies, as a guy who's written some stuff, who's in theater and things like that, like, I'm always thinking, like, I get how this movie comes across, but I'm thinking about the words. I'm thinking about how the script would look on paper and all that. And I thought, you know what? This movie in somebody else's hands, directed a completely different way, would be way better than this movie. Like, everything that's wrong with this movie doesn't... Certainly, number one, has nothing to do with the concept. The concept is brilliant. Yeah. The concept sells the movie right away. I love the concept because what he wanted to do, like, he's in horror movies. These dumb girls are always just running around getting killed. Let's flip that. Let's take one of these dumb girls that's going to be the one who's running up the stairs when she should be running out the door. And let's make her the badass who's going to take down the bad guys. The concept is brilliant. And it's cute and it's funny and you get it. Like, even just the title, you hear it and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's so smart. So there's that. And then, like I said, as I was watching this movie, I could pinpoint in every scene where they were messing up. Yeah. It was either the acting, it was the pacing, it was the editing, it was the a wrong take on the character. And maybe, again, I have this prism of nowadays Joss Whedon. Like, I kind of can see where he was trying to go with these characters. And God, I love Donald Sutherland. I respect him a lot. We've watched a number of his movies here. He's a fantastic and well-respected actor. He's not always great in everything that he does. A lot of times he does phone it in. Joss Whedon had nothing but shitty things to say about him. Mm -hmm. Said he was a dick and entitled and impossible to work with Mm -hmm. and changed his lines and made things up on set and whatever and was one of the reasons why he eventually left. He was you know, on set as an advisor, at least, for this for a while and got so frustrated with the way the movie was going that he just left. Mm-hmm. You can tell this is not his vision, but you can also see the kernel of his vision in it. Yes. That's, so and much. that's, you can totally, like, oh. there are moments, because I have watched the series in its entirety several times. So, yeah, there are definitely moments in the movie where you're like, there it is. There's Joss's Buffy. I see it yeah. for just a second. I, I'll just say it now. There's a there's a moment at the end. There's a big dance, a big school dance at the end, and there's sad Buffy at the dance, and you know the bad boy love interest comes in and like saves the day. That fucking happens. Like exactly, <laughs> right. exactly that exact same moment happens. Season three, oh, Buffy's prom, gotcha. and it's gorgeous and i cried (laughs) it's great so you see moments there are there i feel like it probably should be addressed that joss whedon is potentially a great writer i I think he's a great writer and and probably a good filmmaker not so great a person right 
Yeah. And that that's another one of those things where it's so disappointing because, you know, the movie did fairly well. It more than recouped its budget. It it did fine. But the TV show was a phenomenon and it was so widely praised for kind of being a feminist progressive. vehicle. Yeah, progressive yeah. and feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, Joss Whedon was a prick to all the women that he worked with. It's crazy. Which was just terrible. Just just absolutely terrible to them. He was awful to Charisma Carpenter, who's I just love. She was great on the show, and I think they wrote her off the show so that she could transfer over to Angel. But uh, then she got pregnant and told him, and he was like, well, are you going to keep it? Like, what a gross thing to say to somebody, and mm. then fired her. Like, And not only did he fire her, but he assassinated her character before she left. And that makes me so angry. And if you get on, you know, like, read people's what people write about Joss and all of Working that going him. down. People are just furious at the way that not only was he terrible to her as a person, but he really just destroyed her character in the, the final season that she was in. Oh, God. So yeah. there's that. I, You know, I, I just don't... Again, it's one of those things like, do you separate the art from the artist? Because the show, Buffy, is brilliant and it's brilliantly written and he was such a large part of that and so i want to celebrate that and i and i don't think that being a dick precludes you from being allowed to work if you're talented you know he's not a criminal he's just a jerk right i'm sure there are a lot of jerks in hollywood it's just uh just sad yeah well it's like especially disappointing when a guy who writes such you know obviously sort of feminist type stuff turns out to be and he really does like he writes strong women Mm -hmm. now i i do think a lot of that is lost in translation in this movie oh for sure because oh god this movie (laughs) we're 30 minutes in we haven't even started talking about it and you you uh, uh if i can read you at all you didn't like it you hated it you thought it was terrible I just, you know, I just, I think in my head, so having not seen it, like I said, having been surrounded by it, but never seeing it as a, you know, in high school and growing up and like, oh, I need to get back to that because it's got to be funny. Yeah, I heard it wasn't that great. Like it was disappointing. But again, this sort of lived in my head as this, yeah, but it's going to be this silly, goofy, funny kind of comedy that I'll get a kick out of anyway, knowing that it's disappointing and not as good as the TV series. No, like I watch it and I'm like, this isn't even a good movie. It's so rare that I watch a movie and I can pinpoint all the wrong things about it and I'm bored and I'm frustrated at how bad it is when it never needed to be this bad. Just so much wasted potential and it's clear as day what's wrong with it. First of all, you've got this great premise of this sort of ditzy blonde girl who, like you said, flips flips the switch, right? It's sort of like le- what Legally Blonde did right. Yeah. This, you could have this sort of Legally Blonde thing where there's this girl, but she's actually not that ditzy. Like, she's kind of smart, but, like, you know, she does her thing and she kind of goes against type and, and she kills the vampires and it's great. And I'm sure that's how the TV series is. Actually, I don't think the TV series she's that ditzy. But anyway, you, you watch this movie, and it can't even commit to what it's trying to do. The first 10 minutes of the movie are her in Valley Girl speak with all of her friends being over-the-top ditzy and goofy. And then the minute she finds out she's a vampire slayer... She turns into a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. She's like, not at all ditzy anymore. She's a lesbian. <laughs> 
no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but like she goes from like having this bouffant, like done hair, tons of makeup, 17 magazine tight mini dresses. And then like she has one training session and she's in like Timbaland boots. She's like Tomb Raider. Jean, jean cutoffs, um, <laughs> just... flannel shirts. Like <laughs> she is a woodsman. It's so <laughs> it's so jarring that it it calls attention to itself. You're like, what happened to this girl? Is this the same she girl? She walks like she's saddle sore. I don't understand oh, what happens to her. Now I agree. With, yeah, that's super jarring. Then we've got Donald Sutherland, who is playing Donald Sutherland. Yeah, and he's. Merrick, and he's the guy who's supposedly multiple times reincarnated, and it's his job to they, train they these are. vampires. <laughs> We've seen, we see them in multiple in time multiple periods. flashbacks, yeah, playing themselves. <laughs> but anyway, you know, he's self aware, and she has to be told. And he comes in, and he's Donald Sutherland. It's fine, but you know what? He's so aloof as a character, and so distant that there's a moment where he dies. And all of the characters are, like, bawling their eyes out. And I'm like, who the f*** cares? Like, he, I had no emotional connection to this guy, nor did I understand why Buffy herself had an emotional connection. She's to known him for, like, a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's, like, her trainer. And the funny thing is, is, like, again, you can listen to the dialogue. And if you just imagined this character being played a different way with the same dialogue and the same scenes, you could see how this could totally work. Uh, yeah, her watcher in the TV show is amazing. <laughs> but it's, you know, the way he plays it. And again, I, I fault the director. I think the director, the directing was totally incompetent. And then just the scenes, they just, oh my God, like the action scenes in here are awful. Whedon said that Sutherland refused to perform the lines as written. Like, he rewrote all of his own lines and uh, to the point where they were just nonsensical. Like, they just didn't make any sense. I I didn't notice that specifically, but, like, Whedon hated the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Just hated him. Oh, yeah. All right, let me me give you – before we move forward, let me tell you. Okay, so when uh, I was a kid, my sister and I watched this movie. Somebody recommended it to us. I don't remember. But we watched it, and we really liked it. And we liked it a lot, and we watched it a bunch of times. I liked it so much that when the TV show came out, I was like, mm, not my Buffy, and I didn't watch it for <laughs> the first season. And wow. then my friends, I was in college at that point, my friends were like, my friends were having like weekly Buffy parties, getting together, cooking dinner together to watch Buffy. This is so gay. <laughs> Go on. I was going to say, not my gay friends, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That reminds me. That's that's when Alan and I started like flirting and like, oh, that's a different story. <laughs> anyway, over Buffy. We did. We had a little meet cute over Buffy. Oh. Another time. Minisode. Um, Minisode. <laughs> you got to pay for this. <laughs> Either the Minisode or your OnlyFans account. Right? <laughs> uh, no, my, my OnlyFans is strictly for nudes. There you go. But uh, <laughs> So anyway, but then I, I totally, so I started going to the, the parties with my friends and and I totally got into the show and I loved it and hadn't watched this movie since then and planning to watch it with you I was like oh my god 
I remember it being really stupid. It's going to be so stupid. I'm going to hate it. And I, I put it on and I started watching it. And the first scene is, I don't know if we have time to go through the whole movie, but there are parts I that I want to so. talk about, is a, a, a flashback to the Dark Ages. And it's like this <laughs> terrible community theater costumed Dark Ages with, what's her name? Christy Swanson? Christy Swanson. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Don't even oh, get me started. Well, she's no stranger to the podcast. One of the earliest episodes we did was Deadly Friend. and she I was- know. And at this point, I loved her. And I will be fair and say that she's gorgeous in this movie, and I don't think that she did anything wrong. She's no. fine. Yeah. I just don't want to talk about her. But um... <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> how, how shitty Donald Sutherland is, but we're not going to talk about Christy Swanson. That's I'll, I'll get in trouble. We'll get hate mail, and the hate mail hurts my feelings. So I don't want to <laughs> do it. <laughs> This is like a game of poker. No one to hold them, no one to fold them on certain actors, huh? So we get this history or whatever, and then the very first scene is a a long cheerleading routine. Yes. And so I'm I'm going into this thinking I'm going to not like this movie, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, Christy Swanson doesn't know this routine. Did you notice that? <laughs> I was a dying. Unsure. They had to keep. They had to keep cutting it. It's so cut because she doesn't know it. She doesn't know the routine, <laughs> and she only knows it one or two steps at a time. And all of the other girls around her are so confident, and they have it, and she just has no idea what she's doing. They cut it, so you can't really tell. I don't remember, but that's the only negative thing I will say about her performance. In fact, what I will say is I loved it i loved the movie <laughs> i thought it was kidding me? hilarious oh, i thought God, it was no. hilarious this is nostalgia speaking it, it is it has to be but it also like i had forgotten there are so many lines in this movie that i quote all the time and i had entirely forgotten that they came from this doesn't movie. make them funny <laughs> oh my god i was dying and since we're not going to have time to talk about the plot i just have throughout my notes exclamation points hillary swank right ricky lake right ben affleck ben affleck <laughs> I, that one threw me for a loop seth the minute green I... <laughs> like there are so many people and and then not only that but you can criticize Sutherland I don't have any problem with that I agree he's not great in this movie I think that he's functional like I just don't think his well, yeah. art is very important whereas the the watcher slayer relationship is so important in the series and like they become like father and daughter and it's heartbreaking it's it's uh so good Anthony Stewart head is the watcher the series by the way acknowledges some of the events of the movie. Yeah. Um, but really, really the series is a sequel to the movie that Joss wanted to make. Right. It's a sequel to the screenplay mm. that he originally wrote, not the actual movie. So there are some things that the movie says about the events that occurred before Buffy came to Sunnydale that don't match up with the movie, but that's because uh, it was changed from his original screenplay. Right. Donald Sutherland love him or hate him whatever huge star yeah what's the what's the guy rucker howard rucker howard massive basically the dracula of the movie the you know the major big bad vampire huge star <laughs> like there are huge there are 
Luke Perry, Perry at this time was doing 90210. He was the heartthrob of the to- of the moment. Rutger Hauer, he's the big bad guy in this movie. He's supposedly like the final boss. And there are like three short scenes with him. We barely understand where he came from, why he's there, what his goal is, what his weaknesses are. We don't understand <laughs> any of this. He's a vampire. You kill him like you kill a vampire. Yeah, but why is he there? What's going on? Like, uh, uh, Apparently, why is he he's after Buffy because he's been after her in every one of her lifetimes. I don't know. Ugh. Like, <laughs> what more motivation do you need? Like, we why, see, why like, is he three... just hanging around? Why is he hanging around somewhere else? I mean, like, if he well, knows where there she is. is no, and... There's no backstory for, like, apparent, like, in the beginning, it appears that he's weak. And uh, Paul Rubens who I'm just going to call that because his name is like Amelin or something stupid, which I don't recall ever hearing being in the movie. said. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Paul Rubens is like his familiar. He's a vampire too. But like he's his lackey. And in the beginning, it seems like Paul Rubens, cause he's got this scene where he's like sleep, my master, my own sleep. I have already begun building you a new family. Soon we will be legion. When you rise, we will claim this place as our own. Rubies will drip from your lips. It seems like Rucker Hauer is, his name's Lothos. He's like weak or needs to be revived or something, but that's never explained. And then he just is. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, he, like he can't get out of his coffin and then he's floating in the air. Yeah, and then he just kind of is somewhere, I guess, hanging out in his lair or whatnot while... Paul Rubens' character and a couple other guys pop in and out, taking down random teenagers. I just never got a sense of what the actual danger was that Buffy was up against, what it took to take them down, what the stakes were. (laughs) Stakes. Uh, It's just unclear, except from this general movie thing. Hey, vampires are bad, and she's the vampire killer, so naturally she's going to kill them. I mean... I don't know, Todd. It's a movie... It's a PG-13 horror Why can the totally vamped out vampire be playing on the basketball team and nobody thinks it's weird that this guy looks utterly crazy? I don't know. Like, would your first thought be, oh, look, it's a vampire? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe because I was also raised on Teen Wolf, and I remember that that's a pretty freaking huge deal. This guy goes out on the basketball court looking like a werewolf. I think that he could probably get away with the pale skin and the teeth and the weird ears. For some reason, the vampires in this movie have weird ears. I don't know. He could probably get away with that, but, but floating down from the basketball hoop? (laughs) <laughs> people might notice. They might, they might do a double take on that, but, you know, not here. Uh, yeah. Okay, I, there are things that I do want to mention, but you're right. Okay, so they're just Valley Girls in the beginning. Hillary Swank is f***ing hilarious in this movie. Yeah, like, every like scene that she's in, I am dying laughing because she's so funny this is i think that she had done some tv uh i at some point she yeah did. this is her first movie oh my god so funny as this terrible bitchy valley girl but hilarious they all are in the beginning david arquette is in this oh my god david arquette i know and luke perry are high school friends god we are so old <laughs> i know <laughs> but then eventually uh the guy sutherland what's his name in this i don't remember merrick Merrick comes to Buffy in the gym after he sees her doing gymnastics because she's a gymnast. And he's like, I didn't know until now. I I couldn't have known until now 
but just seeing you do gymnastics, you are the chosen one. <laughs> just yeah. you flip a few times. And by the way, we're going to see her flip like 15 more times before this movie's over. <laughs> that does carry over to the show. She is very acrobatic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, she just has, she has some great lines. Like, he's telling her this, like, you're the chosen one or whatever. And she's like, does Elvis talk to you? Does he tell you to do things? Do you see spots? <laughs> uh, oh, my God. That dates us, too, by the way. And he's like, spots, that's that's it. He's like, that's why I couldn't find you, because you're supposed to have this birthmark. And she's like, ooh, that big hairy mole. I had that removed. Gross. Um, but he takes her to the graveyard so that she can see vampires come out and she kills them. One of the big differences in this movie, when she stakes a vampire, they just fall out of frame and you never see them again. Right. It's a big deal in the show. When she stakes a vampire, they, they poof. They just turn into death. Yeah, go, I noticed that. And they go away, <laughs> which logistically makes a lot more sense because uh, yeah. otherwise there's going to be tons of dead vampires later on. Like nobody's going to notice. There are going to be questions. <laughs> the yeah. principal's going to have a few things to say, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Great Salem's Lot tribute with Luke Perry and uh, Arquette. Do you notice that, right? Like him floating out the window, totally a Salem's oh, Lot yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Right. With a funny line, right? He's like, You want something? No. <laughs> Let me eat, Pike. I'm hungry. Go home, Ben. I'm hungry. You're floating. Come on, man. Get away from here. <laughs> God, that was funny. Um, Buffy, you know, dreams that the big bad is in her bed, but she wakes up and he's fine. Then Do Donald Sutherland approaches her in the locker room at her gym because she was <laughs> supposed to come train with them, but she didn't. And she says, what are you doing here? This is a naked place, which I love that line. But he's like, <laughs> OK, fine, I'll leave. But he doesn't. And then he turns around and he throws a knife at her head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he threw a knife at my head. Yes, I had to show you. But you threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. Only the chosen one could have caught it. Don't you get it? I don't want to be the chosen one. I don't want to spend the rest of my life chasing after vampires. All I want to do is graduate from high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die. Now, it may not sound too exciting to a sconehead like you, but I think it's swell. You come along and tell me that I'm a member of the Harry Mole Club so you can throw things at me? I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then she punches him, but... The fact that she punches him makes her realize that she's a badass, and so... Now she's a badass. They do a training montage to a divinal song. Oh, God, it's a boring training montage. <laughs> the, 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 the group that sings, When I Think About You, I Touch Myself, there's... A, <laughs> it's not that song, but it sounds a lot like it. <laughs> and it's the same band. By the oh, way... God. Training montage. Speaking of training that. montage... All of the action in this movie is so poorly filmed. I don't know if I've seen a movie that it, it had the intention of being a relatively, you know, action-packed film with such ineptly filmed action sequences. What's the bit where she, where she gets on the motorcycle and she goes off? Oh, my God. Motorcycle madness? Oh. <laughs> 
It's so bad. It's I was bored during that's these after that's after the basketball game. There's a basketball game. One of their friends who has been killed is a vampire. He plays basketball with Ben Affleck, and then he runs yeah. away, and uh, she has to chase him because if the vampires find out her name, then there's trouble i don't know um, Who knows? But, but because this vampire knows her name she has to chase him but uh she can't chase him on foot for some reason and so she beats up a biker and steals his motorcycle and then luke perry also happens in this moment to be near a motorcycle so he jumps on one too <laughs> right and they both ride their motorcycles to the pasadena parade floats lot Yes. What? what like... <laughs> they didn't have an abandoned carnival set that they could have done. I don't know. <laughs> and then she just rides her motorcycle in there. And instead of parking it and hopping off, she just jumps off of it and it crashes into a parade thing. That set piece was, oh I God. oh my God, it was fantastic. These enormous, elaborate mechanized parade floats that apparently just run all the time i guess because they're moving the parade floats are like moving like could have been cool but except for that nothing but nothing happens yes nothing happens there nothing with the little tiny fight Yeah, there's a little fight and the watcher gets killed sutherland gets killed for no good reason that was such a lame stupid scene the big bad guy has buffy like in his thrall the watcher Sutherland's like, no, you can't kill her. So he like walks right up to the big bad guy and like goes to stake him. But Rucker Howard just like grabs his hand and redirects the stake into him. Like it's, it's so anticlimactic. It's such a stupid thing. This watcher is supposed to be this expert in vampire slaying gets taken down. It takes nothing. And then the vampire Pee Wee Herman is like, Pee Wee Herman's like, aren't we going to eat? And, the big bad's like, nah, she's not ready. Like, what? Like- what? What is <laughs> She's not ready? Wait till she could definitely kick our asses before we take her down. Yeah, it's dumb. And they just turn around and walk off. And that's when you know that nothing makes sense and the stakes are... that You don't understand. I didn't understand. It's all just... It's just building it's to bullshit. a climax at a dance. Like, the mean girls are mad at Buffy because she's neglecting them, and her boyfriend is mad at her because he's neglecting blah, blah, blah. What's his name? Luke Perry's trying to get out of town, and his boss is Thomas Jane? Exclamation point! <laughs> I would have not even recognized him, um, but as hot as Thomas Jane is now, in his 20s, Thomas Jane, holy shit! Like... <laughs> 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 uh, Man, super wow. hot. But and then Buffy does more training. She walks down an alley and sings feelings. <laughs> and, and they make a big deal out of how <laughs> menstrual cramps are her secret weapon, which they dropped for the show. Thank God. <laughs> it all builds like oh, her friends are mad at her. She's down to earth now. Like she was a super silly valley girl before, but now she's down to earth. And she oh, just realizes quickly. that her whole pre before life was stupid and vapid and vain and she's a whole new person and she can't relate with her friends anymore and they're not listening to her real problems and blah, 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 blah. but she decides look I'm still a girl and it's still my senior year and I'm going to the dance now as stupid as that sounds that really is a central issue in the show in this show she is given this enormous responsibility but she's just a teenage girl. Like, like she wants to go on dates and have sleepovers. And it's not fair that she doesn't. Like, her work-life balance is a major part 
the show. Well, it's the Spider-Man thing too, right? I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of what the appeal of Spider-Man. He's a superhero, but he's still really just a kid who kind of wants to be a kid too. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I that that's fine with me. I just think the movie's really clunky with it. No, it is. It is. It happens immediately, and and you know she she just her character changes immediately, and you're supposed to feel sympathy for her. Um, but she decides she's going to go to the dance, so she buys a pretty dress and she puts one of those topsy turn things in her hair. What are those things mm. called? Where you make a donut? Where you make a donut on the back of your head? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes to the dance and uh her boyfriend is there with some other dumb girl and slashes the dj what like all of this it's insane yeah but then you know her boyfriend's there with another girl so she's very sad and she goes and she stands by a cut out of a palm tree and she's very sad Mm. and then (laughs) And then Luke Perry comes in in his leather jacket and like everything's okay and they're cute <laughs> and they dance and super sweet and I swear to God the exact same thing happens in the season finale of season three of Buffy. Then the vampires attack and they come in and they're like, they, they're so funny. It's like oh, the God. united colors of Benetton vampires. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Every race is represented. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs> and and they call her out and they're like, We won't hurt anybody if Buffy comes out, which is totally a lie, but she goes out. Seth Green, who ha- was a regular on the series, makes a one second cameo as one of these vampires. Mm-hmm. And she rips the bottom part of her floofy skirt off and uh puts on a leather jacket and goes out and starts kicking butt. But then she gets Confronted at some point by Pee Wee. <laughs> yep. Hi. How's it going? I'm fine. But you're obviously having a bad hair day. Oh, funny. Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? <laughs> And he had had an earlier scene with Luke Perry where he had gotten his arm cut off, and that's a whole thing. And then that's kind of funny because he gets his arm cut off, but then he's like, "You you ripped my jacket or something." Yeah, like brand new jacket. He talks like that. (laughs) He's hilarious. He's so funny in this movie. He's good in this. You wouldn't even know he was Pee Wee necessarily. Uh, I mean, I would recognize him, but... I mean, he's not... No, 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 totally different. But the best part is they're fighting and quipping, (laughs) because they're both great (laughs) quippers, and he's like, We're immortal, Buffy! You can do anything. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Clap! <laughs> that was funny. Oh my god, and I thought it was so funny. That was the only time I laughed in this whole movie. That- oh my god. And and then Lothos like starts playing the violin, which puts her in the thrall again. And Pee-wee looks at him like, oh yeah, thanks, boss. And Lothos like looks at him and shakes his head no and stops playing so that she comes out of the thrall for just a second, long enough to kill paul rubens and that death scene was entirely improvised by him and i don't care if you hate this movie or not if you didn't think that was hilarious we can't be friends anymore 
<laughs> I just thought it was out of keeping with the movie. Like, the movie at times is trying to be funny and quippy, but not this level of goofball. And so when that happens, it's like two steps over the edge where it just calls attention to itself as being tonally off. I thought, I'm sorry if I sound I like a snob. it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> he falls down to the ground and he's out ah, of frame. <laughs> and it goes on for a long time. It's And he's like, he's like pounding on the ground like, ah, ah, ah. Well, apparently so they thought funny. it was hilarious enough to like extend it into the credit sequence after the after the movie. So, oh, my God. oh, I thought it was so funny. And then I don't know. There's some poignant moment where Buffy's in thrall, but then she realized she doesn't need to be in thrall anymore. It's supposed to have something to do with a quote from Hamlet, but like whatever. It's just dumb. Like, <laughs> oh, I just realized you have no power over me. So up until then. She's, like, been in his thrall or whatever. Now she's not anymore. And he's talking to her. And he says, you and I are one. And she goes, one what? Cute couple? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, seriously. Christy Swanson today can fall off a cliff for all I care. But I think she is hilarious. And... uh, Oh my god, and really, really pretty. Like I had forgotten. Oh yeah, she how is. pretty. She's so pretty. <laughs> yeah, and whatever she, you know, like she holds up a crucifix and he grabs it and it sets on fire and she's like, he's like, this is how you're going to defend yourself, your puny faith. And she whips out a can of hairspray and says, no, my keen fashion sense. <laughs> Blow torches <laughs> his face. <sighs> and then they have a super, super anticlimactic battle on the dance oh, floor. Oh, so bad. It's so bad. It lasts all of 30 seconds. She does some flippies. And it's not filmed well. There's nothing interesting about... Oh, God. No, it's very, very anticlimactic. And she ultimately just takes him. Like, it does... <sighs> Silly. Uh, that That's unfortunate. Well, I'll tell you what's unfortunate. After all this is done, then now it's she and Luke Perry are now together. They hop on a motorcycle and ride off into the sunset. No. He hops on a motorcycle, she hops on the back, and they go off into the sunset. I could not believe that was the last image that this supposedly, like, badass woman vampire killer is going to go out on. At least put her in the front. At least have her riding the motorcycle. She's still a girl, Todd. That is clear. (laughs) It's Luke Perry. Luke Perry is not going to sit on the back of that motorcycle. <laughs> Listen, I liked Luke Perry in this movie, too. Like, he's so understated yeah, to the point, funny. like, he, a little sleepy, but I didn't care. <laughs> yes. I still thought it was funny. I still I thought just... he was funny. Uh, David Arquette, funny. All these famous people popping up. Ricky Lake, Slash. God, it was funny. I just feel like this... I understand I was talking to Alan about it because you texted me. You sent me several texts. <laughs> when you were watching this movie, like I could tell that it was oh, having God. an impact on you. I, you didn't like it was the gist of your multiple texts that you sent me. And I told Alan, I was like, I get it. Like if I had never seen it before and I were to watch it now, I would probably think that it was really stupid too. But having watched it when I was a kid and I just feel like, not only is it nostalgic for me for that reason, but it captures a very specific 
moment in time. Well, it like, sure does. This came out in 1992, which, oh my God, is so specific. Like, we were still clinging to some of those things from the 80s, but we were moving more into the 90s. Like, we were still kind of clinging to the bright colors and big hair of the 80s, but moving into the kind of the grungier and part of the 90s and like Buffy goes through that transition in one scene. Yeah, and it kind of in a way foretells the edgier more self-aware and and hip teen comics yes. and, and horror movies too that we were about to get like a year or two later. Yes. But it, I mean it's not there. It's like the transition movie, right? It's like the inept yes. middle bit that we had to get through. But it foretells that. And it's got a lot of the people in it that would go on to be like in these other movies. And so, yeah, yeah, in that way, you're right. It's a cool time capsule specifically for its time. As a movie, standalone. Well, I liked it. We should probably just thank Dolly Parton, like blanket, you know, like for just being who she is. But we can specifically thank her for bringing Buffy the Vampire Slayer into the world because it was her production company that funded the, both the movie and the television show. Fantastic. Um, this movie had to be produced in only five weeks because they had to work around Luke Perry's 90210 schedule. You know, he was the huge star. Uh, and God, I didn't even remember this, but the original, if you go to IMDb, the poster that you'll see oh, yeah. um, with the title is the original poster. But the poster, that was the poster that came out before the movie actually came out. When the movie actually came out, the poster that you saw in theaters was just Christy Swanson in front with Luke Perry peering out from behind her, totally white background, nothing else. Yep. And they did that just to capitalize on him. And if you watch the trailer for this movie, the trailer will lead you to believe that this is a movie about Luke Perry. <laughs> uh, it's cra- he he narrates the trailer. Wow! Uh, it starts out with like a couple days ago, I met this girl named Buffy, but she's different than other girls. Like uh, it's crazy. It seems like it's supposed to be about him, but they were trying to capitalize on his fame. Yeah, he was the big guy this time. Him and the other dude. Who was the other dude who was in Nine Hundred Two One Zero? Oh, I don't basically know. you. You were either Team Luke or Team that other dude. Brian Austin Green was one no, of them, and there is another no. one. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Anyway. With all the cameos that were there, David Bowie and Mick Jagger were supposed to make cameos, but they couldn't make the schedules work. <laughs> Why? Like, who did this? Who did this? Who did these people know that they were even maybe going to get David Bowie and Mick Jagger? I, right. I, oh, it's crazy. Um, but I said uh, one of the last things. Last night I was watching clips about Paul Rubens, and I watched that clip of Conan O'Brien. It's a video clip, but it's, you know, just a video recording of his podcast. And again, he was very emotional talking about his friend. But one of the things that stuck with me was that he said that Paul Rubens knew that he was loved. He knew that people loved him. He knew that people loved his character. Um, and he was humble and he was grateful. Uh, and that just made me so happy because really before he passed away, I hadn't thought about him in a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he, he lives, you know, in my head forever, but he hadn't been around for a while. And as it turns out, he had been privately dealing with cancer for, for years, for many years, for I think like six years before his death, he pinned a note to his fans and and I'll read from it uh, he said please accept my apology 
for not going public with what I've been facing the last six years. I've always felt a huge amount of love and respect from my friends, fans, and supporters. I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. Ugh. Like, yeah. rest in peace. What a good guy. Thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Uh, you can find us online if you just Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. Find us on all of our social media channels. Also, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast. Let us know your memories of Paul Rubens. Yeah. Let us know what you thought of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, and the movie. I would just love to talk with you guys about this stuff. Drop us a note. Again, uh, thank you so much for listening and share this with someone else that you think would enjoy it well that's the best support we can get from you until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys and a chainsaw